This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. You can catch me on the radio 3 to 6 each and every day on the Team 980. And you can catch Logan on Command Center, and of course, uh, his resume, important point, thing you need to know, uh, is that he played 10 years in the NFL. Six of them in Washington. And uh, Logan, how many offensive coordinators did you play for in your career? In my career? So I had um, had two in college. I had one, two here. I had one in Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, San Francisco. It was the same offensive coordinator, so like eight or nine. That's, uh, That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Commanders going to be going on their second in four years. Obviously, they had quite a few before that. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, Jay Gruden, kind of was acting OC uh, after Sean McVay left and before he elevated Sean. So, uh, Commanders fans are certainly no stranger to the OC search. And what we wanted to do today was talk about some of the candidates, uh, especially one who's an actual candidate. There's one that I want to throw in there that I think is super intriguing, but whose name yeah. has not come up in their search. Um, but we will also talk about Chris Harris's departure as he looks to be headed out for another job. Someone who is probably the most coveted person. I mean, I, I think definitely the most coveted person on Jack Del Rio's staff in terms of future defensive coordinator uh, type of type of person. So uh, he is he is headed off to be a passing game coordinator, which is kind of like a half a half Def- DC defensive um, pass game. Coordinator. Yeah, yeah, defensive pass game coordinator. Um, and so that is, uh, something we'll talk about what, what his loss means for Washington coming up in just a little bit, but let's start off Logan, uh, on the OC front with Pat Shermer. Um, he is the favorite, I think by most reporting for the job, he is someone who has a ton of really high level OC experience. And I got to say, after talking to my guy, Sean Mraz on, uh, Friday for the show and getting a little bit of insight on his time, even with the giants, Mm-hmm. I I put him I I push Shermer to the top of my list. Mm. Um, Why? I just I think that his ability to generate big plays, his ability to utilize personnel well, um, both as like hey we got to get our good players the ball, but also using their skill sets to have help maximize other guys. And frankly, I think the thing that's most appealing about him is the level of success he's had with mid level quarterbacks. Yeah. Case Keenum. Daniel Jones, you know, rookie version of Daniel Jones. Um, you know, there's been a couple of others throughout his career. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater in Denver. Like, these guys all had really solid years with Shermer, perhaps some of the best years of their career. In Keenum's case, by far and away the best year of his career. Uh, for Jones, the best year of his career until Dable this year. And he's obviously an, a much more advanced player now as a veteran. Um, but watching that result, knowing that they're either going to be targeting like a mid-level quarterback or working with Howell, who at this point, you know, who knows what he could become, but he's he's a second-year guy. He'll be making his second career start the next time he starts a football game. I think that's really appealing um, to hear and to look at his track record and go, you know, yeah, the head coaching stuff hasn't worked out for him, but as a coordinator, he's shown a level of consistency that is, is extremely appealing with a set of circumstances that is not dissimilar in a lot of ways to what he'll inherit in Washington. Yeah, and I think um, I think all those things are why you get excited about Pat Shermer. I think uh, you know I talked to some of my buddies who've worked with him, and you know one of the things that comes out of those conversations is that he's an excellent teacher. And to me, that's probably I don't want to say the most important thing, but that's a huge factor in terms of me valuing what a coordinator brings because ultimately they have to be able to educate. And um, 
you know, around the building, a lot of guys on the offensive on the offensive um, side of the ball were kind of like, I don't know if I'm being taught as well as I could. And, you know, that there's a little bit of perception of that. There's a little bit of, you know, record associated with that. But right. I do think everyone that if, thinks that after the record's not very good, correct. but it also could be true. It also could be true. And I do think that, um, you know, a guy like Shermer, who's got kind of a, a legacy or, a, you know, a history of being a good teacher, I think. There's value there. And I do think, like you said, he brings a lot of, um, you know, kind of lackluster, like quarterbacks who aren't big names and he's kind of elevated them, which is, I think, what you want. I think, uh, you know, I talked to, like, again, just understanding his offensive philosophy. He's kind of in this Andy Reid tree, you know, of the West Coast where it's more concept driven as opposed to layering runs and passes. You're layering concepts to set stuff up, which I think is kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy, you know, kind of compared to what, um, you know, Ron was looking for, but I do think that there's obviously a lot of success with that offense. I mean, Kansas City being, you know, exhibit A, obviously they have a very specific type of, um, you know, skill position group there that allows them to do a lot of very high level stuff. Their offensive line's outstanding. They have the best quarterback in the NFL probably at the moment. So, um, and Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds in football. So lots of things that kind of make that offense look really good in Kansas City. But he's done a good job of, of, of like you said, elevating guys and uh, kind of executing his vision. And I think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, definitely. The layering concepts thing is interesting, too, because ta- when when Mraz was, uh, was talking about Shermer on – Friday with me, he talked about how he would, you know, take three to four yards in the first quarter to set up a big play later. Right. And they would do things that, you know, we see like the the Hayden Hurst touchdown in the Cincinnati game this weekend where they they sneak him out, uh, where they use Jamar Chase as a kind of a decoy on a fake uh, a fake bubble and mm-hmm. things like that is the type of stuff that Shermer does pretty frequently um, from what Mraz was saying and and from what, you know, the statistics and everything suggests. I know you've had a chance to watch a little bit of film and, and do all that kind of stuff and obviously talk to some people that with him. But you talk about layering concepts, it's stuff like that where it's like, we're going to get you to think that we're doing this thing that we do all the time. And then at some point in the game, we're going to hit you with the counter. And at yeah. some point we're going to use, you know, whether it's Terry or, Jahan or Curtis or you know all these weapons here and we're gonna get your eyes going right and we're gonna sneak somebody out left and so guys like Darius Slayton had big years in New York as a rookie he was a fifth round rookie at the time Mm -hmm. not the Darius Slayton we know now again as a veteran but like he he would get big plays off of them diverting the defense towards Odell Beckham Jr. and -hmm. Beckham by the way still had a thousand yard season so it's not like your stars don't get fed Um, and I think he missed a couple games that year as well so their ability to generate big chunk plays is exactly what I think Rivera wants. So like it's a philosophical fit. It is a historical fit. It's a resume fit. Um, And then if he's a good teacher, then even if he's having to switch systems, if they're going to a more of a West coast based system versus keeping some of the terminology and um, the air Coriel principles that we talked about on the last podcast, how some of these things are taught a little bit differently where like maybe it's the same, same route combination, but the coaching points uh, move the route, uh, you know, a couple yards this way, a couple yards that way to achieve a slightly different goal. If he's a good teacher, then that seems like a, a great fit to ultimately have success with the amount of talent they have on offense. Yeah, I think it's going to be especially important if you're going to give Sam Howell a look. And that's like by all indication, that seems like the way they're going to go with that. So um, I think it's all it seems like the right fit. I do think, you know, if I was if I was coach, I'd be looking at some of these guys um, like the guy out of L.A. The guy out of Miami is very interesting to me. Um, uh, the name escapes me at the moment. Let me check my notes. Uh, Eric, Eric Studesville is Miami. Studesville. Thomas Brown is L.A. Yeah, I like the Studesville guy. I like his resume a lot. I've never met the guy. I don't know what he, you know, I know some guys that have worked with him. They speak very highly of him, obviously. So I, I just like I just like a, a younger offensive coordinator. Usually I think they're more like dialed into kind of the direction the game is going. But that's not to say that um, Shermer doesn't do that. You know, obviously he's evolved his offense over the last 15 years in the NFL. So um, that's just my personal preference. But I do think that Shermer seems like the natural fit. Again, and he has a relationship with Ron. They know each other really well. They work together in Philadelphia. So that seems like the type of guy Ron wants. You know, someone he knows really well. Um, Someone who's very qualified for the position. He's called plays before. I think all that stuff is is right in line with with the type of candidate that he's looking for. Um, you know, maybe one of these young guys impresses him, but I feel like uh, Schirmer's definitely got the inside track for uh, for this. 
Yeah, that is an interesting thing too to even think about what kind of job it is, right? Like I know the ownership stuff is hanging over it all and that's having a huge effect and you know, Rivera's uh instability potentially because of that and all these factors that make it and the quarterback that make it not a good job potentially or that are negatives let's say on the job not that it because i actually don't think it's a bad job as i'm about to explain why but that 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 would go in the con category if you're doing like a pros cons list but on the pro side like this is a pretty good football team um you know you're gonna have a defense that should be pretty good again uh to to pair off of you you've got immense skill position talent they were one of the last teams to get eliminated from playoff contention so like they're on the brink of being in the playoffs they're competitive and that was with the guy that you're hoping to upgrade over right like if you're if you're the incoming oc you're like maybe i can be the difference to help us win a couple Mm -hmm. of extra games um and obviously the quarterback play you're hoping is going to be better uh because of that and you know they went we know what the record was with wentz versus what it was with heineke and, and all of those things so I do think this is like when you think of it from Ron's perspective of like, am I hiring a young OC that I want to let develop over a couple of years with a young team? And if we make mistakes, like it's fine. Like, no, he's, he's looking at this as like, who can help me win the most games in 2023? Because if I don't think that way, then I don't know that I'm getting to 2024. And I think that's like an important thing to keep in the back of everyone's head here. No, absolutely. I think that that time parameter is very, very important. I know there's a lot of guys who, like are very exciting on paper and young opportunities and all the young guys who are looking for to capitalize on an opportunity. All that stuff is true, but you don't have a lot of time here. You don't have a lot of time to kind of mess around. You got to win now. And I think of the guys on the list, I mean, obviously the guy like Daryl Bevel, who's who never got an interview would have been, I think a little bit better, but uh, Shermer's an excellent candidate. And again, I think the relationship Ron has with him, it just, it kind of expedites the process. You know, they have, they've mm. communicated before, they know each other. And, um, and quite frankly, Shermer's like the perfect guy for this job in a weird way, just because like, he's not, he doesn't, if it, if it goes a year, if it goes longer than a year, great. If it goes a year, he's probably okay with that. You know, it, it's just like, he's in a perfect spot in his career where this type of job's fine, you know? And yeah. I think, um, and it fits both parties really well. So, um, if I had to put my money on anybody, it's Shermer, but um, yeah. you never know. One of these young guys could come in and, and just crush it. And- well, let's look at those two other young guys real quick, and then we'll get to my my name to set the internet on fire, the one that's going to get us a lot of clicks and make a lot of people angry. Um, but Eric Studesville has very limited like passing game experience. He's been mostly a running backs coach. Um, he does have a Rivera connection. I believe they were together in yeah. Chicago. And also, my guy Teresh um, tweeted this the other day. Uh Studesville's wife used to play professional basketball and like whatever no league it was that was before the WNBA. So this is a long time ago. Yeah. You know who her, her head coach was in this no league? Idea. No. Stephanie Rivera. Really? Yeah. So wow. shout out to to my guy Teresh Manuel for for that incredible for nugget. Digging it up, huh? Yeah, but Studesville and Rivera know each other and their families know each other. So there is that connection there, um, football wise and, and obviously it runs a little bit deeper uh from way back in the day on on the basketball side of things. Um with that said, if Mike McDaniel was willing to keep him, like he's obviously a very impressive person. because uh, Mike Mike is someone who obviously yeah. has a very distinct view of how football should be. And if Studesville wasn't was enough to keep around, um, that's that's worthy of consideration. Um so what what do you think Studesville would be as an OC? And then we can get to Thomas Brown from LA in just a second. Well, I just like his his like kind of background. And again, like this is again very biased towards my background. He worked for Gary Kubiak in Denver for seven years, six years, um, between 2011 and 2016. And Gary Kubiak is like the 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 it's like Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, and then the whole tree comes off of him. So he has this right. West Coast, you know, we just talked about the difference between um Schumer kind of marrying concepts. Um you know, Studesville is going to marry runs to passes in a way that I'm very familiar with, right? So not only did he get that kind of base level install from Gary Kubiak, kind of the godfather of Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, um, you know, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniels, he got kind of a refresher course going to Miami and being there with Mike McDaniels this year and just being around innovative personalities, I think is very advantageous. And so I like kind of where he's been developing in his career and the things that have been around him and i think that's something that again i like i like this kind of 
you know, everyone's talking about how innovative Miami's offense is. I want someone who's at least seen it and been behind the doors and kind of says, oh, okay, this is why we're doing this. And I don't love this necessarily, but we can get to it this way with a different skill position group. So I really dig that about his background. Um, but again, that's because like I'm comfortable with that. I'm familiar with that. We talked about that on the last podcast, how like your biases influence your decisions pretty dramatically. So right. I, that's exciting to me. I like that he's a younger guy. There's something about that. I, I think it's because of Sean, <clears throat> honestly, Sean and Kyle, like having dealt with them. I feel like yeah. they can just, Sean specifically, just found a way to relate to young guys in a really nice way and found a way to teach because he could be like, Hey man, like what's up with this music you're listening to? And it was like, we could chat about it over lunch and we could talk about it and relate it to football. And it was this very cool dynamic. And I just feel like as the coaches get older, that the the ability to relate to, to the young players coming in, it just becomes more and more challenging. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do think it, um, it can help just kind of align perspectives a little bit. So, yeah. um, but again, for this job, is it the right thing? Um, you know, he he's has a little bit of play calling experience in his background, but not much. And so maybe you want someone yeah. who you know is ready to rock and roll in Shermer. Yeah, he's got – I mean, Studsville is 55. So he's been around for a, a for minute. A um, and he's – I mean, he is like – a guy who's very well respected in all the ways you just described, kind of yep. have that younger vibe to him. But it's not like he hasn't been around, right? Like right. he's been coaching in the NFL since 1997. Crazy. He's been coaching in the NFL since before some of his players will be born, uh, if they're draft, you know, the draft picks of this year, um, which is wild. Um, but you know, <laughs> he's been with the Bears. Um, you know, or actually, I'll just read this off because, like, this is this to me is actually very cool. Um, yep. The list of guys that he's worked under. Um, it's crazy. It's a crazy yeah, list. Of Jim guys. Fossil, Brian Flores, John Fox, Adam Gase, Dick Duran, Vance Joseph, Gary Kubiak, Josh McDaniels, Mike McDaniel, Mike Malarkey, Dave Wanstead. So, like, you talk about a variety of experience. Even Josh, offensive. McDan yeah. Josh McDaniel. Even that is crazy. You yeah, know, like so that's just some great names in there. Trestle, like all those guys, man. Like, were at peak offenses at some point in their career, right? And and but also the experience of working with defensive head coaches. Sure. Like, he's got the the experience that's really really fascinating to look at and go okay i can see him working here but the lack of uh the lack of play calling experience to he, me he is like has, the biggest he thing has on done his. it right am I, am I misremembering i think he's um, done it for a couple of years he well it doesn't have it necessarily written Listen. down i mean he was he was the interim i mean this is kind of the wild thing tells you how long he's been around back in 2010 he was the interim uh head coach when they they fire the head coach in Denver, right. so like he's he's definitely been in power positions. Um, I think he did some limiting play, some limited play calling at some point. I think he yeah. helped McDaniel obviously this year. Like he yeah. had the OC title this year, um, so an assistant head coach. So, um, but he's mostly been a running backs coach by position, mm -hmm. and so um, whether it's a run game coordinator type of thing where he's calling at least the runs or or whatever it may be, um, he's definitely he's been involved in that process, but it's different when you're the guy, it's different when you're in the quarterback's helmet and like you're doing no, absolutely. All, that, all that stuff. All right. Last guy we want to look at, uh, of the guys that were going to interview this week is Thomas Brown. Um, Thomas Brown is a hot name, kind of the latest guy to come out of the Rams, Sean McVay coaching tree. Um, he was the assistant head coach this year He's also the tight ends coach. We love a tight ends coach yeah, uh, to do. move into a, a play calling position, uh, especially an OC position, um, because as we talked about with with your background and your ability to to talk about football from the experience of teaching blocking schemes, teaching pass game stuff, like tight end is the position where it all comes together. So I'm always intrigued, but definitely does not have the play calling experience that yeah. um, you know that Shermer has. And has not been in the NFL for nearly as long. So a lot of his experience also goes back to college. Like he was a running backs coach uh, before he got to LA for the University of South Carolina and mm -hmm. University of Miami, and like had you know was at University of Georgia. Like a lot of college experience uh, going back to like 2011, uh, and then 2020 through 2022, he's with the Rams. So he's been in a great system. He's worked with Kevin O'Connell. He's worked with Sean McVay. He's worked mm -hmm. with all these guys. But it, it's definitely a very different resume than the other two. Yeah, and he seems like a guy who would do well in like a mentorship position calling plays, kind of like Sean did here with Jay. And then, you know, um, 
Sean did with, um, gosh, the guy in Minnesota now. With Kevin, yeah. With Kevin, yeah. Like, so obviously, I, I think that he's, he seems like a really great candidate, you know? And like you talk about tight end, let's talk about tight end coaches who make good OCs for a second. Cause like right now, there's a whole bunch of them. There's Frank Smith down in Miami. He's helping out with, like, I think he's a passing game coordinator. Then there's Wes Phillips, who I played for up in Minnesota with Kevin. And then Sean, obviously, was a tight end kind of started his career. And, the thing that's advantageous about it is you have to know everything with a very high level of detail. So like a running back coach, you're going to know protections, you're going to know run scheme really, really well. But because of the kind of routes the backs run, usually you don't have to kind of delve into the details of the passing game. And then offensive line coaches, we're going to talk about this in a minute with your with your sleeper candidate. Yeah. Um, they know protections better than anybody on the team. They know run schemes better than anybody on the team, but they lose a little bit of the pass game. A tight ends coach and the receivers coach is the same thing, but the other way. They know the pass game really well, but they don't know the protections. They don't know the run scheme. A tight end coach has to know everything at a very, very high level because the tight end has to play all the positions. And I think that's why you get some of these guys from a tight end background who are so well versed in their stuff. Now, again, I don't know if this guy's the right kind of candidate. Like his experience, it's it's really hard to know unless you know somebody who knows him. It's really hard to kind of get a bead on it. Um, but I do like that he is a tight end coach. I like tight end coaches. I like quarterback coaches because for the reasons I just described, they have to really know the offense. And um, I'm, I'm sure he does. Obviously, like he's got the assistant head coach title. So Sean or somebody in that building thinks very, very highly of him. They didn't want him to leave. So I think that bodes well in terms of his pedigree and how people think of him. But he does feel like it's the wrong guy for this job. I think you want someone with a little bit more experience who's been around the block a little bit more who can resonate with this. And I think if you just look at, look at Scott, right? Scott was a first time play caller. And I think if I'm Ron, I want to steer away from that as much as I can, especially given the year parameter, you know, I think that's something that is, um, would, would kind of steer me away from, from Brown. Yeah. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't, wherever you are listening or watching right now. Uh, Logan, so when Greg Roman got released from Baltimore, oh, you didn't I went even on the radio. It. You didn't even tease No, I'm just, just going straight kinda, in. Okay. I'm just going straight in. When Greg Roman got released from Baltimore, I did a quick refresh on his resume and I went, I don't understand why this guy's not the top candidate in Washington. Yeah. I think hearing more about Shermer, I would back off top candidate a little bit. Um, but mm. I do think he is someone who should be getting a serious look here. And I understand the concern that a lot of fans have. And it's hilarious because I put up, you know, that take on YouTube and Ravens fans got a hold of it and they were like, Ah, you're an idiot. He sucks. We couldn't wait to get rid of him. And I'm like, Oh, your team that went to the playoffs every year that he was the offensive yeah. coordinator. Oh, and in Buffalo, he went to the playoffs uh, a couple of times. Uh, and and in San Francisco, they went to the playoffs and went to a Super Bowl with him as an offensive coordinator. That guy, you can't get rid of him. Must be nice to be a Ravens fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, what, 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 what is the specific criticisms they levy against him? So, and, and then Washington fans would come in and say, well, he's terrible with wide receivers. Like, he, he's passing mm-hmm. concepts X, Y, Z because... Fair enough. If you look at the resume, the pass con or the passing stats are bad. Um, but yeah. he also doesn't have a lot of attempts. Um, yeah. And I think that what I see on that resume is a little bit different. What I see is a coach who has consistently played to his personnel strengths and mm-hmm. minimized his weaknesses. His the best receiver he's ever coached is either 
San Francisco, Michael Crabtree. Mm-hmm. Buffalo had one year where Sammy Watkins actually stayed healthy and was a thousand yard receiver or Hollywood Brown in Baltimore. Terry McLaurin, the second he would play for Greg Roman would instantly become the best wide receiver he's ever had. Curtis Samuel might instantly become the second and Jahan Dotson the third or flip those two if you want, uh, because Jahan looks like he might be a monster. Um, so I see a guy who's had mediocre passers or developing passers in Lamar's case. Like Lamar turned has turned into a pretty solid pocket guy, but certainly didn't come in that way as a rookie, as most rookies don't. Um, and was an incredible runner. And the same thing with Kaepernick in San Francisco. And he had the some of the most prolific rushing seasons in the by quarterbacks in the history of the entire NFL. Uh, Lamar developed into an MVP under him. And by mm. the way, I think this is another thing, and this is the last thing I'll say before asking you, like, what do you think of him as a candidate here? And based off looking at film and like kind of a, a, a more in-depth look at some of the details is his teams always win. And yes. I think that that is not something to be discounted. While we look at record a lot with head coach, we don't necessarily look at it with OC. Like he is someone who can clearly not get let his ego get in the way. Look at a, a team that has a great defense and be like, I'm going to help us win. And I'm going to play a style that helps us win. And just because he hasn't had a bunch of play action, explosive plays, or had a bunch of passing success in the past, I don't think necessarily means he can't. The personnel here would be different. And I do think there are is maybe a concern about whoever the quarterback coach would be and continuing to develop Sam Howell. That said, he's developed quarterbacks, he's won football games, and he plays a style that fits with Ron Rivera. I don't get why he wouldn't be a prime candidate here in Washington. Yeah, I mean, I think he'd, I think he'd be a great fit. I, you know, when I watched, I watched three or four games last night of the Baltimore Ravens this year, and uh, I do think that he has some very innovative stuff that he does from a pass game standpoint. Um, I do think he's very limited by the passers. You know, he had to win a whole bunch of games with Huntley this year, which isn't exactly an ideal situation. Uh, and Lamar, for all of his growth as a passer, I don't think is – he's not Tom Brady in terms of working through progressions and, and kind of managing sure. reads and things like that. So I do think that does limit the passing game efficiency. I also think this brings up like kind of a, a philosophical football point with, when it comes to people who abide by this kind of run first approach. Because Greg Roman is an offensive line coach, and you can tell the way that the O line is coached, the detail with which they execute the run game is very, very high. They do a lot of different stuff in the run game, which is cool to see outside zone gap runs, um, you know, RPO type stuff. So a lot of stuff uh, at the at the disposal of the coordinator from a run game standpoint, but. Anytime you're a run first team, you are susceptible to kind of falling into these very particular patterns. And if I was a fan of the Ravens, I think that would be my kind of thought, much like here in Washington. So Greg Roman's probably going to run the ball on first down. If you get to second and 10, second and eight, um, second and seven, anything like that, any kind of longer down and distance, you're not equipped really to throw the football the way people think. And that's not necessarily an indictment of the skill position players. That's more an indictment of the passer and the offensive line, right? Much like here in in Washington. So you're going to run the ball again, and you're probably going to get to third and six. And then you have to kind of get into this kind of creative drop back, five-step, seven-step passing attack where you're not good and you look really unpolished. Right. And I think that to me is is maybe the criticism that I would levy against any team that's run first. You see the same thing with Tennessee. You see the same thing with Cleveland to a certain extent is you you get in these patterns of like, well, I I just ran the ball. I probably should throw it on second down or probably should throw it on first down, run on second down. But that's not what you want to major in. And he, his play-action passing attack that he developed, I thought was really nice. You know, he's they're throwing the ball to tight ends, which I think is fine. You know, you're throwing the ball to tight ends, you're, you're scheming stuff up. and Biased. Yeah, it is biased. But, um, you know, I, and I think that's another thing that limited their offense there is they're trying to do so much stuff through um, Mark Andrews there. It's, it's like that is your number one receiver. And while I think Mark Andrews is an extremely good football player, it's not like he's Travis Kelsey. And it's not like in, in Kansas City where – You've got Travis Kelsey kind of supplemented with all these really dynamic pieces. It's like you got Mark Andrews, then you got Isaiah Likely, who's a rookie tight end out of Coastal Carolina, who's kind of your number two. And it just there there wasn't a lot of Yeah. Like Devin Duvernay lot. might turn into a decent receiver, but like right. he's he'd be the fourth receiver here. Correct. That's and again, I, the top three here are ridiculous, but he'd be the fourth guy. 
And so I think that that's part of the reason why the offense feels the way it feels in Baltimore, right? Why they have a hard time pulling away from people and why, you know, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a messy run first deal. And again, you do that because it limits the variance. They're a defensive led team. You understand why they do that. And I do think that that's kind of what Ron wants to bring here. And I do think that there is value there because it details the run game in a way that is it really advantageous? But I do think you get into kind of this stagnant um, kind of repetitive mode with coordinators like that, which is one of the reasons why a guy like Studsville, I think is really interesting because he has been in a run first system that doesn't always run first. They want to get their 50, 50 run pass, but they're going to th- do a play action pass on first down. They're going to drop back on first down so that they can set up longer drives and get more touches to the running back. And I think that is the thing that I find um, really kind of maybe an indictment of Greg Roman is that he's a little bit more traditional in that approach, right? And I think when you look at the good teams right now that are running the football a lot, you kind of say, even Atlanta does this. You know, you don't know what they're going to do on first down, even with a quarterback who's not very good, because they understand that they understand the percentages on first down versus second down with regards to running the football. And I think that would be my one kind of observational note on Greg Roman. And I think that, um, I think he's very talented. I think he's a brilliant guy. Like when you look at what they're doing, it's really good stuff, but they, they lack an execution because he doesn't have great passers in there all the time. They're great. Like, um, I don't say great passers, but guys who process the offense in a traditional way, you know, they kind of, I'm throwing the ball here. This is where it's going. And I'm talented enough to make that happen. Um, and that was the same thing with him in, in San Francisco. He had one of the best offensive lines in football. Best, uh, you know, obviously Vernon Davis was exceptional there. And then Colin Kaepernick was a beast. And then when Colin Ka- Kaepernick kind of said, I don't want to run the football anymore, the offense became very, very stagnant. And again, I don't think that's an indictment of Roman. I think that's more of like the change in circumstance there. So I do think he's a great candidate. I understand why fans would be frustrated with him because it does seem a little monotonous, but I do think he is, um, he's very talented. Yeah, he's very talented. Um, his teams have actually been fairly productive from a points production standpoint yeah. too, and that's something else that I think is interesting. Like his teams always finish better in points than they do in yards, with the exception of one year in his career. Uh, sorry, two years in his career. Like in San Francisco, they finished twenty sixth in yards and eleventh in points. Uh, then they're eleventh, eleventh, twenty fourth, eleventh, twentieth, twenty fifth. Goes to Buffalo, 13th, 12th, and like resurgence of Shady McCoy, by the way. Um, So what he can do for running backs is remarkable. 16th, 10th. His first year in Baltimore, they were ridiculous. They were second in yards, first in points. Um, And then it's been a little bit more hit or miss since then. They were 19th in yards in 2020, 7th in points. And the last two years, as Lamar's been hurt, um, they've been bottom half of the league, barely, the 17th and 19th in points. Um, But other than that, and that one year, his last year in San Francisco, he's always had a top half offense and point production. And, you know, I'm pretty sure the stat that I'm looking at in pro football reference is like offensive points. Um, You know, he's always had good defenses too. And some of those defenses have scored a lot. So if they're doing average points per game, then maybe it's a little bit inflated. Um, But like point differential, he's again, always been good. And and if Ron wants to play that time of possession game, it seems like a a good thing. Um, But it is, I, I just was... Maybe, yeah, I did I come on too strong initially uh, looking at some of those things and maybe not knowing enough about Shermer? Um, yeah, but I also think that if you're immediately dismissing him as a candidate, um, that's that's silly because I think he could be very successful here um, within the context of, of what Ron wants to do. I would also say this, though. I think it's much more likely that Greg Roman turns Washington down than, than uh, right. Washington turns Greg Roman down. Yeah, I agree. I think he's got... He, you know, his pedigree is a lot. And I think, you know, I'd be interested if he just kind of takes a year just to kind of figure it out a little bit, just chill. Um, but he's still I, living I do, in Baltimore. Ron should have him come to a couple of practices and uh, <laughs> just to check it out. Yeah. The, uh, I think that's the thing though. It's like, he's, um, it seems to fit what Ron like wants to do and what, what Ron wants to be. And I know that's not exciting football in, in this era of throw the ball over the yard or watching, you know, the Bengals last night, we watched the Buffalo bills throughout the season, not last night or whenever it was, but um, these offenses are kind of high flying. But if you look last year specifically, 
obviously teams are transitioning more when they don't have that elite quarterback they're transitioning more to this run first lean heavily on the defensive approach i mean that's what the giants did this year they just they got a good solid offensive coordinator who i think is was very innovative in terms of elevating daniel jones but they basically leaned on the defense and said we want very, very high variance from our defense. And we want very, very low variance from our offense. And we want the defense to make plays. And so that's what Greg Roman would give you is that is he has been on defensive led football teams for a reason. Like the San Francisco teams he was on, those were the best defenses I played against in my career. They were fantastic. They were and, ridiculous. And so it allows you to kind of lean into this run first approach. Same thing with Baltimore. I mean, look at the playoff game they had against Cincinnati. Say what you want about the 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 sneak. They were in that game with a team that just took the Bills out back and beat the beat them up bad, right? Yeah. And that just speaks to the type of team that Baltimore is and what this does for you is it keeps you in games with better football teams if you have the defense to do it. And I, and I have a lot of – I think there's a lot of merit to that. There's 11 teams now that kind of abide by this run first, run second approach and lean on the defense. And I and if you're Ron, like he's and, – and, and you want to run the ball as much as you, you say you want to run it, he seems like a very, very strong candidate for that role. Yeah, uh, I would say this. If – you unless you have a massive offensive line upgrade which they're going to the question is like will it work right yeah. so they're, they're going to upgrade they're going to spend there the question is how how effective will they be in their choices and unless you have much better quarterback play you're gonna have to play that way i know the receivers are tantalizing and they should try to get them the ball more but the way in which you do it not just dropping back and like I thought it was really interesting, just a quick sidebar, uh, and then we'll get to the Chris Harris stuff, but like listening to Romo talk during the game yesterday about what they're doing with Burrow, mm -hmm. I had not heard it quite put this way before, which is probably not just me not watching a ton of Cincinnati this year because I'm busy watching Washington um, and like watching full broadcasts. Like occasionally you go back and watch the condensed games and like all sure. the good conversation between plays gets cut out. Um, but he basically said like they're doing what they used to do with Peyton Manning with Burrow where like they understand what the other team is is going to do from a coverage standpoint like oh this is a cover 3 team okay well i'm going to give burrow three plays and he's going to go to the line of scrimmage and then he's going to call one of them is that and what they're doing is that yeah. is that like wow yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so the you know like trying to recreate what they're doing in Cincinnati requires having Joe Burrow. You know, right. trying to recreate what they do in in Kansas City requires having Patrick Mahomes. It's a lot easier to recreate what the Giants just did, what a lot of these other teams, what right. San Francisco is doing. Even I know Kyle's in, like Kyle's one of one, but a lot of the stuff he does is not so far out of the realm of possibility for other coaches to recreate. It just requires a level of discipline and detail that most people don't have that Kyle has to an extreme. And so like, if you want a, a formula, like you'd much rather try to recreate what they're doing with Brock Purdy than what Cincinnati is doing with Joe Burrow, because Burrow can handle a mental load that almost no one else in the league can. Mahomes right. can can do that. You know, Mahomes is playing on one leg on on Saturday, and he's still. I mean, Romo said this during the broadcast yesterday too. He's like, Mahomes, even if you lose the mobility, is still probably the best pocket passer in the league. Mm. So, like, you're still talking about just going from Patrick Mahomes to you know what Tom Brady used to be. And so, I, you know, when you look at like formulas and all those kinds of things, trying to be unpredictable on first down, but a run first team like san francisco that yeah. seems like a much more repeatable formula for success and they still get big explosive plays you know like washington should with these receivers yeah i think that's a great point and i also think it's important like we give kyle a lot of credit that is the san francisco has the number one rated defense in the nfl yeah. i mean they won a game scoring i think it was 14 points what was the final score 12 to 14 uh i think it was 19 12 was the final 19 12 19 points are you kidding me against the dallas cowboys like that to me is, is again, more it allows you to play a style of football that is more conservative offensively. You don't have to leverage your play caller if your defense is playing well. You don't have to kind of every, you don't have to get a first down every six plays. You don't have to do that anymore if your defense is playing that way. So I think that's so important to understand when looking at this offensive talk, right? If you have a good defense, you want a coordinator to kind of understand the relationship between the two sides of the football and call the game accordingly. It's not like it's not like in Madden where, where you got the sticks in your hand and you're saying, I have to score on this drive. If you're if you're that good on defense, I can be more conservative. I can kind of bide my time. And I look at these teams again that are 
are, are kind of this, uh, we're, we're, this is a kind of a catch-all term that's not overly descriptive, but this run-first approach, they understand this relationship really, really well. And they understand that I don't need to, and that's honestly, like everyone says, oh, like the team started winning games when they started running the football more, the commanders. But a big part of that is they just didn't, they, they weren't screwing the defense on a down-to-down basis. Yeah. They weren't going three and out. They weren't forcing them to be out there for long periods of time and see more of these high-fluting offenses. I mean, and I think that's something to understand here. Like, as much as we want a, a, an amazing signal caller that's going to be at the cutting edge of something, you need someone who understands where they fit and where and when to take these shots and kind of capitalize on these opportunities. And I think, you know, I know um, Greg Roman's not, like, in the list, but, like, a guy like that, Shermer, studs but like they all kind of get it and i think that that's something that again is very encouraging to me and some some ways like bringing in a young guy is kind of going back to one of the things i think scott struggled with and scott i think was always trying to show show that he could go win the game when he didn't have to when his role was more managing the quarterback and managing the play caller managing the offensive line so as much as fans want oh these big names we want to push the football down the field get the receivers involved I don't think this team will ever look like that as long as we don't have a Joe Burrow at the quarterback position, which I think is kind of the the crux of your point. Right. You need to make sure that you you can manage the variables you can manage with the people that you have. And I think that's that to me is what I wish that fans would kind of embrace here is yeah. you want someone who's cons- conservative is kind of a bad word, but that's kind of what you're looking for. From well, the play it's here. controlled aggression. Right. Um, right. Because you can take shots off of like the whole thing. And and I've learned this from you at a really high level doing this podcast over the last, whatever it's been 10 months, like the neural load of a quarterback is so important and you can still pass the ball 30 times in a game while having five to eight dropbacks. Like you can play action, you can boot, you can throw screens. Like you can do things that don't require the quarterback to actually do a lot. He's just a vehicle for the football to get from point A to point B as opposed to a decision-making dynamic football player. Like Joe Burrow gets to the line of scrimmage basically every play, looks at the defense and is like they're in an overfront. It's first and 10. All right, we're calling this and like right. calls a their run play at the line of scrimmage that's designed to beat an overfront. Like you can't you can't do that unless you're Joe Burrow. Um yeah. or unless you run to the line of scrimmage like they used to do with Jared Goff in LA and Sean is like okay, I see the defense, let's call this. Like that's what it takes to do that and it's really hard and it's also, you know, there's some there's some downsides to that um beyond just the trust level of the quarterback to do it correctly on a regular basis so um you can do more of what kyle does with brock purdy where a lot of it is predetermined or like even last night like some of these big third downs kyle Mm -hmm. does a really good job with play design it's a one-man show like there's a third down late where mccaffrey runs a choice route on that long long drive they have in the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. that's a one-man show because if purdy was reading it out um donovan wilson their safety cowboy safety fell covering george kittle he would have thrown to kittle and kittle would have probably had a 20 yard gain instead he's reading mccaffrey and only mccaffrey and mccaffrey wins he throws on the ball as soon as he wins he like anticipates the win and they get the first down it's like third and three they pick up five yards and they keep on chopping away the clock and so like there's a ton of that in their offense it's just like we're gonna get george kittle or christian mccaffrey or brandon Ayuk in a one-man show like good matchup against man-to-man or we're gonna isolate them in a zone against a player so it becomes de facto man-to-man and brock Purdy's just got to make a throw that he's been making his entire life right and so doing things like that for a sam howell is going to be great and play action and, and all that kind of stuff to build in more protection. That's why the play action is so important because when your line is not necessarily, or your line is not having to just, you know, pass set all the time and try to take on good pass rushers and stunts and all this kind of stuff, um, it slows them down and, and creates kind of a different pocket. Like that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for in an OC for Washington at this time. And that can still lead to the ball getting to Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaren, and Jahan Dotson a lot. It's just not in a drop back passing game like you do if they played in Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at look at Sam Howell's last game against Dallas, it was very yeah. simple. Like we're reading one dude. He threw a choice to Jahan. I'm reading Jahan. If you yeah. want to go to Terry, I'm reading Terry. It's not even like there's a levels throw. It's like I'm throwing the go. I'm yeah, is it go hitch. or is it my throwing his back shoulder? Yeah. 
I'm throwing the I'm throwing the choice. And so that's kind of the stuff we're talking about with like this neural load stuff. And so getting a coordinator who understands that, um, understands that elevate, but all, and again, understands the relationship to the defense, I think is extremely important. So, um, you know, I, I think fans are, are looking at this as a kind of a way to change the organization. I think the bigger changes to the organization, honestly, are going to come with the offensive line acquisitions for this offseason. Like those decisions to me are almost just as important as the coordinator. And that's and it's like, oh, that's crazy, Logan. What are you talking about? Look at teams with good offensive lines. Look at San Francisco. Look at Kansas still City. Playing. Look at look at Philadelphia, right? Like they it's there's a reason that O line position is so important. Now, if you like listen to guys at PFF and stuff, that they say that is it's becoming devalued. But to me, if you want to run the football, I can find two Molly Whopping offensive linemen as opposed to finding the quarterback of the future. And so I think that's where you got to kind of walk this line. And, and those those decisions, the two guys they bring in, whoever they are, and the decision they make about Chris Paul and where Sam's going to play on the offensive line. If I'm the coordinator, like those things are so critical for the development of this team, this organization, because it helps me develop Sam. And we everyone talks about, you know, how 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 the team ran the football really well. How efficient were they running the football? Not very efficient in terms of yards per carry. A lot right. of it's because B Rob's a beast. Imagine if you get B Rob into the into the second level of the defense, and that is directly correlated to the offensive line and how good that group is. So, to me, that the, that is the biggest thing. And, and it's not like you know Norwell didn't play badly this year. I think I just read something he graded better than Brandon Sheriff this year by PFF's metric, which is pretty wild. Because, yeah, but he didn't like play. Seems nuts. He didn't play badly. Is what I guess my point is. He didn't play bad, but he didn't play great. And so, can you upgrade? Can you go from average to good? And on two spots on the offensive line, I think that's really, really interesting and 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 more significant for this offense because it allows you to throw the football better. It allows you to get the ball to those playmakers. It allows your running backs to play better and allows the young quarterback to play better. So as much as we're talking about this coordinator, I think they've got some excellent candidates and guys that I think, yeah, hire, hire Studsville, hire Shermer. Great. Let's get on with it. I think both of those guys would do a great job. Now the personnel thing offensively, I think, is ex- is exceptionally critical. Yeah, we will definitely uh, be talking about that a lot more moving forward, taking a look at the free agent market and some of the draft stuff, which we'll be getting into probably honestly starting next week as the Senior Bowl is right around the corner. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Logan Paulson there. Craig Hoffman here. All right, real quick, Logan. The other news item from the weekend. Uh, Chris Harris is departing the commander's staff. How big of a loss is this for them? And who do you think ultimately, like, is there someone on staff that you've heard about good things about in the building that could replace him, an assistant DB's coach, something like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm really happy for uh, for Harris, Coach Harris, because I think this is something that he wanted, and I think this is good. Like, it's good when people leave your staff, and I know people don't like that thought, but it means you've got talented people on your staff, and you've done a good job selecting people and bringing them in. So, I think again, this bodes well. Like, good, good for Chris. Good for Jack for making the hire, and I think that that's that's a nice thing. This is good for everybody. Um, I think that the DB room is kind of unusual because they do have. Like Chris Harris obviously coaches it, but then Rock, um, Coach Rogers is kind of like the assistant, like kind of supervising the the room. So I wonder if he just steps into a full time position there and kind of deals with the guys more on a day to day basis, um, because he he's in there a lot with them anyway. So I wonder if that's kind of the natural progression, or if you go out and hire somebody, um, 
somebody to to promote. I know there's a young linebackers coach that everybody's really infatuated with. I think he's an assistant. That would be interesting to kind of hire him to that role to get him some get him a, a title and, and some coaching experience. Gosh, I wish I could remember his name, but I think both those guys would be interesting. Just kind of internal promotions, uh, or you can go outside and find someone else that works well. I do think that it's a big loss. Uh, because obviously that group has grown so much over the last two years, and that has become like a sneaky strength of the team. Like when you get young guys like Forrest, young guys like Percy playing better and playing significantly better, and then obviously Cam Curl's role in the defense. Like I think Coach Harris deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Richard Rodgers has been a coach for over 30 years. It would seem like he is the logical guy to step up. Um, and then if you wanted to put someone else in like that assistant role and, and kind of get hit them to be his protege, um, that could, that could certainly work as well. Uh, I do think that there's always movement on the outside and and that could be interesting as well. But I, I mean, when you watch that group come together this year and you watch what they've done with curl, um, I think it's, it's definitely a big loss. Um, you know, Jack is a former linebacker kind of has that, you know, and obviously he's a guy who's been coaching the NFL for 30 years, like he's got the full 360 view of coverages of fronts of all these kinds of things. But having a guy who played like Chris Harris did, had the experience and can really speak to that is invaluable um, and speak to it at the NFL level. Um, And I think obviously as curl developed, uh, we've seen obvious his coach had to be important in that. Uh, and, and we've seen some of these other young guys, your St. Juice, whatever. So it definitely is a big loss, but I obviously one that you can't, or that, that you can overcome. Um, they just have to get the right guy in there and, um, they've got a, a bunch of good people on staff, like you said. So I actually don't think like it's a huge deal. Um, cause I also, I don't think he was like the passing game coordinator or anything either. Right. Like Jack no. was truly calling the play. So it's not like you lost your defensive play caller of the guy who was really putting the coverages together, certainly during the week. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. the best ways to attack, like you lose that voice in the room. Uh, but you'd hope that, you know, a guy like Richard Rogers and some of these other guys that they have are capable of, of picking up that slack and seeing the game in similar ways and can come up with good solutions. And, and Jack certainly has his own ideas, uh, for being a DC as long as he has. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, anytime you lose someone who's creative and brings the energy that Coach Harris did, it's not great. And I, I love, I always loved his kind of approach, like the high energy yeah. in practice. And then everyone talks about that, but his ability to the second, like, you know, you're watching the game film, you're watching practice, and you see him immediately coaching up young guys as they come off the field. A lot of guys don't do, they don't have the energy there to sustain that down in and rep in and rep out you know and so i think um that energy that that kind of attention to detail that he apparently brought i think is going to be a big loss and like you said like he's a smart dude and that perspective is always valuable it's always good having smart people on staff so um losing him is definitely a big deal i'm happy for him i think that's good it's good it's a good sign for washington that people are are being plucked from the staff because it means that they're talented and people respect them. And um, now it's just, it it becomes a little more challenging because you got to kind of find a way to keep the group together and keep that young safety uh, trio developing in a nice way. Yeah, definitely. All right. uh, Just a quick note on that. And obviously uh, once that person gets replaced, if there's more to say, or or once Chris Harris gets replaced, we'll talk about more who that person is that replaces him. Uh, Until then, uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening uh, right now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it is that you are checking us out. Of course, the free Odyssey app as well. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, we appreciate it. Make sure you're subscribed at 106.7 The Fan for full episodes. Uh, and we'll see you on Thursday uh, for our next episode here on Taking the Game.